Good evening, everyone. Uh, we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 6, and it's uh, in the handout it says verse 14. We're actually going to be looking at all of verses 12 through 16 of Galatians chapter 6. And so if you're following along in one of the Bibles that we provide in the back of the seat in front of you, you'll find that either on page 916 or on page 975. Galatians chapter 6, verses 12 to 16. I'll read our text and pray for God's blessing to get started. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God. Let's pray. Father, give us open ears to hear the wonderful things that you have for us in your word. We pray that your spirit would grant us hearts that are hungry to hear from you. Hearts that are soft and minds that are alert. Please give me clarity and boldness and faithfulness in proclaiming the things that you have for us in your word, and we pray that Christ and his cross would be exalted in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. When the Americas were discovered, our whole section of the globe came to be called the New World. This, of course, stood in contrast to the Old World Asia, Africa, and Europe. The New World was a very different place. You had different groups of people inhabiting it. You had different animals, different plants. In fact, a whole new collection of crops. Peanuts and peppers, tomatoes and potatoes, sunflowers and squash. But over the course of hundreds of years, uh, many old world people immigrated to the new world. The reasons that they did so were numerous and diverse. But one major reason that people came over to the new world was to have a new world. In people's home countries, often there was a firmly established hierarchy, and people on the lower rungs of society weren't going to move up. And sometimes these conditions were aggravated by unrest in the home country, things like famine or war. What was the hope of a new start? A new system, new relationships, new ways of being, new opportunities to carve out a life of peace. Well, of course, it was the new world. There's intoxicating possibility in the hope of a new world. But our text this evening speaks of a place with even more radical newness and an even firmer hope of peace than the new world presented to old world immigrants. It's in fact a new creation 
And it's brought about by the cross of Christ. As we read our text, beginning in verse 12, if you were listening at the beginning, it's immediately clear that we're parachuting into an existing situation. Paul is talking to his recipients, the churches in the region of Galatia, about some other group that's trying to force them to be circumcised. That's what he's talking about in verse 12. He says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. What's going on there? Well, the Galatian churches were being harassed by a group of Jewish Christians who were claiming that to fully belong to Jesus and to fully receive his salvation, Christians from a non-Jewish, that is Gentile background, had to become Jews. They had to receive the covenant sign of circumcision and they had to become observers of the law of Moses. And Paul writes this whole letter, the book of Galatians, aggressively disputing that teaching. It cuts against everything that Christ has done for his people. It nullifies the goodness of the good news of Jesus. Why? Because we're saved not by doing outward things with our bodies, marking our flesh with circumcision or keeping commandments, but by faith in Jesus Christ alone. God sets sinners right with him through faith. How is this possible? Because Christ paid the debt of our sins and purchased for us all of God's blessings through His death on the cross. The law curses us because we don't keep its righteous standard. But the good news of the gospel is this. You see this in Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. This has been Paul's entire argument. And now coming to the end of his letter, he's making one final appeal against the false teachers who are trying to lead his readers astray by pressuring them to receive circumcision. Again, pressuring them to become Jews and to use the law as a means of attaining a right standing with God. So here is the big idea this evening of our text. The cross demands a choice. Old creation boasting in ourselves or new creation boasting in Christ. The cross demands a choice. It'll be old creation boasting in ourselves or new creation boasting in Christ. Now we'll understand this choice and what's at stake here by asking and answering three questions. These are the three questions we'll look at. Well, starting with number one, what is old creation boasting? What is old creation boasting? What does that even refer to? This is what verses 12 and 13 show us. Paul is contrasting two sources of boasting and he'll assume that we have to put our boasting somewhere. Our boast is the thing in which we take pride, the thing we glory in. And there's an element of trust in boasting, the thing that we lean on. In fact, you can think about it like this. Our boasting is kind of like our body weight. You always have your body weight. It's with you all the time. And what's more, you always have to put it somewhere. You're always resting your body weight on something. You can't choose whether or not you'll weigh anything. 
The only choice you have, and it's a very important choice, is whether or not you're resting it on something solid. What's a solid place to put your body weight? Well, a concrete slab, maybe, and you have your feet shoulder width apart, and you have solid and well-fitting shoes. That's pretty much an ideal place to put your weight. But what if we took some of these chairs in here, and we, you know, they stack. So let's say we stack them four or five high, and then we bring a basketball, and we put it on top of the top chair, and then you climb up, and you get on one foot and balance on that basketball. It's not nearly as safe a place to put your body weight. So this whole passage is about what we're relying on, what we're proud of, where we're putting our weight. We get the idea of old creation from verse 15 by contrasting it with the phrase new creation, Paul says in verse 15. But the concept of old creation boasting is illustrated in verses 12 and 13. I'll read those again. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. These two verses give us three facets of old creation boasting. Three facets of old creation boasting. The first facet of old creation boasting is trying to create good appearances for others. This is the beginning of verse 12. They want to make a good showing in the flesh. Paul discerns that this is the motive of the false teachers. They're pressuring the Galatians to do this outward thing to mark their bodies in order to appease others. We can all relate with being driven by the desire to create a good image in the sight of others. The second facet of old creation boasting is, toward the end of verse 12, trying to avoid trouble from the world, where he says uh, they don't want to be persecuted for the cross of Christ. What was probably going on was that the false teachers were trying to get the Galatian non-Jews, I'm sorry, Galatian, uh, yes, sorry, the Galatian Gentiles, the Galatian non-Jewish Christians, to be circumcised so that the non-Christian Jews in the nearby synagogue, wouldn't take offense at the Christians. Now, the Bible doesn't glorify being oppressed or being martyred for its own sake. But when the pathway of faith would take us through the thorny hedges of persecution at the hand of others who don't love God, we're warned against shrinking back in fear. And that's what these folks are doing. The third facet of old creation boasting is in verse 13, taking pride in our accomplishments. That's where he says, directly, so that they may boast in your flesh. The false teachers want to rack up as many circumcisions as they can because it makes their ministry look effective. To boast in your flesh means they could point to all this outward activity that they generated, all this fruit that they produced. Doesn't it seem like something productive is happening? And we ministry leaders can easily fall into the exact same trap today by comparing numbers. How many people are coming to church? How many are being baptized? How many members? This is boasting in our achievements. So these three facets of old creation boasting, creating an image, avoiding opposition, and pride in our accomplishments, these can mix together so potently. We want to create an image in the world that leaves others impressed with us. 
At the same time, we want to create an image that keeps us from being opposed and mistreated and looked down upon by others in the world. This old creation boasting is all about self-sufficiency. It's all about accomplishing things for myself. It's about proving myself, asserting myself, relying on myself, making myself look good. But at the same time, this old creation boasting can lead to some toxic effects in our relationship to others. On the one hand, we might be like these false teachers trying to use others as pawns that we can leverage for our own boasting. On the other hand, we might be so full of old creation boasting in ourselves that it leads us to look down in judgment on others because they're lower than us on the ladder. Old creation boasting is everywhere you turn in this world. It is the natural state of affairs of every human heart. And it's for this reason that in verse 14, which we'll look at in a moment, Paul equates it with the world. The world. This is what the world does. Now we need to be clear. This doesn't mean that our material realm, our whole world, is bad in itself. What it means is that the world has fallen into a state of sin. God created the world very good. But our world is now in darkness because of sin. So now it's a place that's characterized by what we're seeing here. Old creation values. Now our temptation to put on a good show in the flesh could take either a very religious form or a non-religious form. We might be religious people trying to keep up all the rules and commandments, whether Christian or otherwise. Or we might be non-religious people, but nevertheless, we have a code of conduct that we feel earns us the right to boast in ourselves. The temptation to put on a good show could also simply look like conforming to the unspoken set of assumptions and expectations that the world measures people against. These are the assumptions and expectations that pervade our lives. Does our job measure up? Does our income measure up? Does our home measure up, our neighborhood, our relationships, our physical appearance, how put together we seem? And when you really get down to it, the desire that underlies all of this striving and boasting is we want peace. We want peace. Paul gets it. So in verse 16, he issues this wish blessing of peace and mercy for those who choose to reject the old creation and embrace the new. He says, as for all who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Peace. This is insightful. Because peace is what everyone's after. We think that if we silence all our critics, and if we impress all our observers... And if we store up a treasury of accomplishments that we can hold up before ourselves and our neighbors and God Himself, then we'll finally arrive at a place of peace, a place of rest and wholeness. But if you've sought this peace through self-boasting, then I don't have to tell you how futile this quest can be. You get shreds of peace, maybe fleeting moments, but you're always looking over your shoulder. You're always trying to get to the next rung and you're always conscious about somebody else out there that's doing it better than you. 
And what's even worse than all that is that the way of old creation boasting leaves us exposed to the curse of the law that we read about earlier. God's sky-high standard of, of justice, his moral requirements of his law, condemn us all as sinners. And so his righteous judgment looms over our heads. Old creation boasting promises peace, but it doesn't deliver. It leaves us condemned by God, unsatisfied with ourselves, and enslaved to the judgment of others. What are we to do? Well, this points us to the second question because the cross opens up a new way of boasting. Here's the second question. What is new creation boasting? This is verses 14 to 16. What is new creation boasting? I'll read it. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. In verse 14, Paul introduces his mode of boasting. He utterly repudiates the possibility of boasting in his flesh, as his opponents do. But remember, boasting is body weight. You're going to put it somewhere. So what's Paul proud of? What's he trusting? The only thing that can hold up this weight, says Paul, is the ground on that wretched hill outside of Jerusalem. It's the holy ground where our servant king ascended the throne and took on himself all the fury of God and man to carve out for us a way of redemption. It's the cross. The cross is the center of it all. The cross is the center of our right standing with God. The cross is the center of Paul's argument. It's the center of the good news of Jesus coming. It's the center of the entire system of the saving acts of God. And it's the center of an entirely new way of existing. It's on the cross that the God-man, Jesus Christ, by His own will, took on Himself the sins of His people so that in Him, God could crush our curse and set us free. In the words we heard earlier from Galatians 3, 13 and 14, there He became a curse for us so that we could inherit the blessing of God. Because He became a curse, our sin is expunged from our record. Because He became a curse, we're set right with God again. Because He became a curse, there's nothing to do but believe and to receive as a gift by faith this right standing with God. And so the cross is a place for a whole new kind of boasting. It's no longer a boast in what I'm doing. It's now a boast in what's been done for me. It's no longer a boast in image. It's now a boast in substance and reality. It's not a boast in what others might think, but it's a boast in the favor of God that now freely rests on me because of His Son. This is new creation boasting. Now in verse 16, Paul calls it a rule. And that's not to say that it's just another moral requirement to satisfy. The word here refers to a standard of measurement, 
like we use the word ruler, the kind of ruler you use in math class or woodworking or sewing. To all who live according to this standard of measure, new creation boasting rather than old creation boasting, God promises peace and mercy. Notice that peace is the common goal. Everyone wants peace. It's shared by all. It's a place of rest and satisfaction. In the old creation, peace comes through muscle. But in the new creation, in God's scheme, it comes through mercy. Peace and mercy be upon them. The basis of our peace is that God has seen us in the miserable plight of our sin. He has taken pity on us. He's extended to us a hand of mercy. He's reached down to us with the cross and He said, grab a hold, I'll carry you out. And by saying all who walk by this rule in the Israel of God, Paul means that this new creation, peace through mercy, is freely available to Jews and Gentiles alike. It transcends all the divisions and categories of the old creation. Circumcised or not circumcised, it doesn't matter anymore. This is true rest. This is the rest that our parents forfeited in the garden with the first sin. And this is the rest we reject every time we rest our weight of boasting in the flesh. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when strivings cease. In new creation boasting, we've escaped the endless grind of having to prove ourselves. The only debt that mattered, the debt that we owed to God, Christ has paid in full. The, all the other debts that we might think we have, trying to prove ourselves to others, trying to please and impress others, trying to satisfy our own thoughts about ourselves, It all dissolves into holographic illusion. It means nothing. But might we have it all? Perhaps we might think, well, can I have the cross-defeating, sorry, the curse-defeating death of Christ, the, the right standing with God that comes as a gift through faith, can I have that and the world's approval and boasting in my own accomplishments? Can I have it both ways? No, says Paul. And that brings up our third question. Why does the cross force us to choose? Why does the cross force us to choose? In our text, Paul doesn't simply contrast two modes of boasting. He goes further, and he presses upon us the impossibility of having both. We are at a crossroads. In verse 14, Paul speaks of a mutual crucifixion that's happened between him and the world at the cross. He says, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which, that means by the cross, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Of course, he's speaking figuratively. Only Jesus was put to death on the cross. But in effect, in that moment, a radical break has occurred. And it's a break as radical as death itself. On the first Good Friday, the world broke decisively against Jesus. Now, of course, if you read the Gospels, you know his whole ministry was filled with opposition. But this opposition grew and mounted and reached this climactic moment at Calvary. At the cross, the world 
put God's righteousness on trial and found him guilty. At the same time as we know and confess God was condemning his righteous son in the place of sinners, the world was condemning the righteousness of God itself. More decisively and more momentously than ever before or since, the world declared its hatred of God on the cross. Because there, God was in the flesh, and man said, crucify him. And so the cross of Christ isn't just an execution instrument, it's that, but it's also a fence. Or we could say even more, it's the Berlin Wall of the cosmos, separating two radically different worlds from each other. These worlds, of course, are the old creation and the new creation. But this break didn't just occur for Jesus. Paul says, me too. This this is what we call union with Christ. Paul sees himself as a personal participant in Christ's rejection by this world. Union with Christ simply means that all who believe in Jesus share everything that belongs to Jesus. It's like a marriage where both parties immediately come to share in common all of the assets and liabilities that they both had. So he took our sin debt and paid for it. We take his righteousness and we find eternal blessing in it. And his resurrection from the dead will be ours in the last day. So says Paul, on the cross, I died to the world and the world died to me. I was there with Jesus Spiritually speaking, I was united to Him. And so this world isn't mine anymore. I disavow it. I repudiate it just as it repudiated my Lord Jesus. So verse 15 describes conditions on the far side of the Berlin Wall that is the cross of Christ. The wall that separates worlds. He says, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. On this side of the cross is a new creation. What is a new creation like? Here the old fleshly concerns no longer apply. This whole letter, Paul has been breathing fire against the notion that Gentile Christians have to receive circumcision in order to attain God's blessings. But here he makes it plain. The matter of circumcision itself is literally here nor there. Get circumcised, don't get circumcised, It doesn't matter. In the new creation, the old distinctions and concerns have been left behind. Jew-Gentile? Circumcised-uncircumcised? Doesn't matter. And then in chapter 3, verse 28, earlier in the book, he, he adds, slave or free man? Male or female? We could add innumerable different ways that we rank ourselves that we order ourselves, that we find a basis for boasting, looking down on one another. All the fleshly distinctions that we used to boast in, we left that behind at the cross. The missionary William Carey, British Baptist missionary, who's the father of the modern missions movement, went to India. And you may be aware in India there's a caste system. There's Uh, these strata social groups that are very separate from each other and there's a hierarchy. Some others who evangelized in India saw how deeply entrenched these castes were and said, 
we're not going to be able to establish a church here that, that transcends all the castes. We'll have to just form different churches among the converts of each caste. William Carey said no. No. Those under his ministry when he preached the gospel and some uh, became Christians and were baptized, when they would celebrate the Lord's Supper, the ordinance we're going to observe just a few moments from now, they would drink from a common cup and pass it. And he intentionally seated the higher caste people after the lower caste people. And they all knew this was going to happen. Just to make it clear, we left that behind at the cross. This world broke up with Jesus on the cross. You don't want what this world offers, you don't want its judgments. You don't want its criteria. You don't want its prizes. You don't want to be climbing its ladder or moving up its depth chart. This world has no time for the cross, so we have no time for this world. To this world, the cross is a source of shame and foolishness. It is a bloody execution instrument. Paul says to the world, that's fine. We'll keep the cross and you can keep your judgments. He says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We'll have the cross. You can have your judgments. If you ever traveled to a different country that has a different culture, you've probably noticed pretty quickly how radically our value systems can differ. For one thing, we use different currencies, but also we assign different weights to perceived goods. So very broadly speaking, Western cultures care more about the individual and Eastern cultures tend to care more about the group. And so it is with the old creation and the new. Paul tells us elsewhere that these two realms have radically different ways of doing everything. Radically different ways of identifying wisdom, for instance. 1 Corinthians 2 verses 6 to 8 talk about this. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul tells us, the rulers of this world thought it was a good idea to kill Jesus. What do you think of the world's wisdom? And what should we think of what the world thinks of our wisdom? These two realms also have radically different ways of evaluating Christ himself. So Paul says elsewhere, 2 Corinthians 5 verses 16 and 17, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. That's old creation talk. We regard no one according to to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we now regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The world has its own fleshly way of looking at Christ, and they miss his glory. They can't see past the foolish cross. They want to keep their self-sufficient boasting. But we're in the new creation. So when we look at Jesus, we see our all-sufficient sin-bearer. We see value beyond gold and we see beauty 
beyond diamonds. These are two entirely different worlds. Two radically separate systems for assigning value. So where do you boast? Which world has a grip on your heart? Will it be the approval of man or the approval of God? Will it be fleshly image or heavenly substance? Will it be the prison of what Paul calls elsewhere in Galatians, the present evil age? Or the freedom of adoptive sonship that he declares also in this epistle, so you are no longer a slave, but a son? Will it be the accomplishments that you can rack up? Or the final, settled, eternally resounding verdict of righteous that God declares on you? through the cross? Will it be peace through muscle or peace through mercy? The cross demands a choice. Old creation boasting in ourselves or new creation boasting in Christ. If you're not yet resting in Christ, welcome. We're glad that you're here. And we're glad that you're listening to the good news of Jesus, these words of rescue and life and peace. We're glad that in a few moments you're going to watch us who trust Christ taking part in a symbolic act that reaffirms the eternal benefit we gain from his death. And we urge you tonight, enter the new creation. Grab hold of that cross and let Christ do all the pulling. Cease striving and rest. You're at war tonight with God in your sin, but he offers unbeatable terms, forgiveness, sonship, eternal glory. For those of us who trust in Jesus, isn't it ever our need to to return to this wretched old cross and remember the death to the world that it symbolizes? He invites us anew to repudiate our flimsy, foolish, fleshly boasting. Put it aside. That is old creation stuff. That's stuff for the other side of the wall. God's word for you tonight, in Christ, through the cross, is peace. Peace. It's a word we hear in our ears, and in a moment, it's a word that we'll taste in our mouths. Let's pray. God, if we only knew the impotency of our, sin, uh, of, our, of our good works, of any attempts that we could make to have something to boast in, something that could hold us up, we would see the, immediately the folly of these efforts. But you show us the cross where the flesh is judged where our sin is judged, where the world's folly that hates you is judged. And you've shown us that we can't have that old boasting and Christ. We thank you that in the cross we have an entirely new boast. Father, please may every heart in this room 
know the new creation, peace, and mercy that are ours by faith. We thank you for making your son a curse so that we could receive blessing. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.